Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, I am filming this for the first time. If you're watching this, you know that I'm filming this because you're watching it. But if you're listening, don't worry about it. Or you could go find it. It's probably going to be on my Instagram, um, maybe my YouTube, even. I do have a YouTube account. I don't use it much, but uh, it should be Josh, either Josh Luke Nichols, I know that's Instagram, or Josh Nichols Golf, possibly on YouTube, not sure. Um, The link will be in the show notes regardless, because at that point, I will know what my YouTube uh, link is. But anyway, whether you're watching this or listening, I want to talk about today what to do after you play terrible. Because everyone plays terrible at times. It's just the nature of the variance in golf. We've talked about this a lot in the past, that you have some great days, you have a lot of average days, and you have some really bad days. So it's like that bell curve that we've talked about before. On the left, on the far left and the far right are a small amount of good days and a small amount of bad days, and most of your days are average. So every time you play, your score will fall onto this spectrum. It just does. That That's what makes up the spectrum are your scores. Yet we still hate it when we play bad. Almost like we thought we were incapable of making mistakes. So that false notion of control aside, you know, maybe you've heard of this, the, the illusion of control. How should you react after playing a bad round? You, you know that that level of control is false. You should know based on just the natural laws of variance in golf. So how should you react after playing a bad round? Well, in my view, this is a fork in the road. You can react in two different ways. On the left road, you can choose to be sad, mad, sulk in your misery, pout, get emotional, blame things, make excuses, compare yourself to others, drastically change things, doubt anything you've been working on, be fake happy or uh, be fake positive, or you could try to convince yourself that the round never even happened, and you could even curse the imaginary golf gods, and you might, uh, at the end of that road on the left, might even be quitting golf altogether or putting up the clubs for a really long time, thinking that not playing will help you somehow manage it better. That's the left fork. That's the left road at the fork. Now on the right, the right road at the fork, you can choose to be logical. You can evaluate what went well, what went so-so, what went bad, not let your emotions get tied up in the result, Realize that a round of golf is simply a test of your game, not an indictment on your character. You analyze your stats, you develop a plan of action based on that analysis, and you get to work on your plan. So that side, that road at the fork is is more logical, less emotional. This fork in the road, deciding which way to go, is everything. If you go down the left we'll call it the emotional path, then you will have a really hard time improving and having even a hope 
of playing better next time or ever. But if you go down the logical path, the path to the right, you actually leave behind all of the uncontrollable things of golf and you put control back into your hands. You give yourself the opportunity to improve. But why do we get so emotional about the result of a round? Why do we take it so personally? So one major reason that I hear from players, and you might be able to relate to this, probably will be able to relate to this. I know I related to this when I was a highly competitive player. It's how they thought they were working way harder than others, yet others still beat them. They were comparing themselves to others. This comparison mentality is super dangerous because golf is primarily about playing against the golf course, not against other players. Yes, everything we watch and hear about golf and sports, it conditions us to believe that golf is played against other people. After all, it's a competitive sport. It's an NCAA sport. It's a club sport. It's a professional sport that is meant to be played against other players. And what fun would it be to watch just one player play a golf course by themselves and then watch a second player play the golf course by themselves and so on and then see who played the course the best? That wouldn't make for very compelling TV. So there has to be drama inserted to make it compelling. Golf in and of itself can be kind of boring, so there has to be drama inserted to, to make for good TV. You might hear the phrase, this person has to make two birdies coming in to beat this other person. That might be true, that the player might be uh, behind by two, two shots, and in order to win against this other player, they might in fact have to make two birdies coming in to beat them. But that's artificial drama of player versus player that's designed to keep a viewer interested. It's really, in, a, in the most cynical way, it's designed to get you to watch commercials, <laughs> uh, to get you hooked. To that, That's why we see those commercial breaks at the end of a tournament sometimes, and we're like, whoa, you just threw us right out of the, right out of the, the flow of this round. That's because you're most engaged and you're most likely to come back after the commercial. You're going to sit through that commercial because they have inserted that drama to make you more interested. But a good mental game will not adhere to these made-up rules, these, this inserted drama. A good mental game doesn't, doesn't care how or what people frame how people frame a round of golf as player versus player. So, you have to go against this nature. And every everything you ever hear and realize that golf is in fact you playing a golf course. You have to realize that you your job is trying to play the golf course to the best of your ability every time. There's nothing more to it than that. If other people played the course better than you did, then good for them. If you played the course better than other people did, then great for you. That the comparison to other people is simply what you make it. You should be interested in how you play the golf course. 
how did you drive the ball on this golf course? Not, how did you drive compared to others? How did you putt on this golf course? Not, how did everyone else putt and how do you tack up against them? This is the, in my opinion, this is Josh's opinion time. This is the dangerous side of strokes gained stats. Now, strokes gained is not completely dangerous in and of itself, but there is a dangerous side of strokes gained stats because it's based on how others did in certain aspects of the game on the course on that day. So when you have negative strokes gained, you could have driven the ball pretty well for you compared to how you do it normally, but compared to others, you did poorly. Now, I'm not saying abandon strokes gained stats altogether. In fact, I, I like reducing the emotion of other players, of how other players did, down to just numbers. That's, that's actually a good way to say other players did this, this, and this, but let's take the emotion out of it and just make it numbers. Like, my strokes gained driving was negative 0.4, that means I lost strokes to the field. I lost 0.4 strokes to the field because of my driving. And that takes a lot of emotion out of it. It just makes it a numbers thing, which is better than saying, I just feel like everyone drives it better than me and I just can't keep up and I don't hit it far enough and I spray it all over compared to the people I play with. That's too emotional. Reducing it to just numbers is much better than that. But be wary of too much comparison and the emotions that can creep in based on strokes gained and comparison. So another, another thing, another standard that you should hold yourself as opposed to uh, comparing yourself to others is how did you handle adversity? Not how did others handle adversity. How did you react when you had a bad hole? How present did you stay when thoughts of past or future crept in? Not, how did others do these things? That's, that's a pretty obvious one. You don't, we rarely ask how others did mental game things. It's pretty easy to say, how did I do mentally? Now, if other players are, are super even keeled and it seems like you can't even tell how they're playing or the opposite, they're so crazy, emotional, up and down. Those might warrant you asking, how did they do and how did I compare to them mentally? But more often, it's easier to ask, how did we do mentally and not compare yourself to others? Because it just so happens that mentally, the, the mental parts of the game are much more controllable. They're much more in your control to, to improve or to get worse at. So boil it down to this. Your job is how you play the golf course compared to how you've played the course previously. So you're not basing it on how others are. It's how you are practicing, how you measure up against yourself. You can't control how others play the golf course or how hard others practice or the timeline of improvement others are on. You simply can't. And any part of you that wished you could needs to be removed. You can only control how you go about things. If you start trying to worry too much about how others are, are practicing or playing the course, you, you start trying to control these things, 
and you compare yourself, that's how you can get really frustrated really quickly. So you have to remove those things from yourself. Those need to be the first things to go. You've got to remove the uncontrollables from your your mental routine before you can make any progress. So let's say you've done that. Let's say you've done a good job of removing uncontrollables. You've listened to the Mental Golf Show. You've read the blog on Foundation's Mental Performance. You've done this really well. You've, you've gotten to a point where you cannot care about the control, the uncontrollables of other players, the, the variance in golf, blah, 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 blah. You can actually now get to the work of actually improving your own ability to play the course better next time. You've, you've removed the uncontrollables. You've cleared the path for you to actually work on the controllables. And as we've talked about before, this is where the possibilities explode of how you can actually go about working your plan. Because you've removed the, the things that you shouldn't be worrying about, you can actually create a plan of things you can control and do and actually work it without distraction, without frustration, without spiraling. So here's the secret formula for how to improve that most people don't know and do the opposite. This is the path towards controllables. This is that logical path. You, here's what you do, the secret formula. You raise the importance of practice. You make it as intense and focused and high quality as possible. And you lower the importance of a round of golf to simply be a test of what you're good at, so-so at, and what needs improvement. Most people... Don't do this. Most people do the opposite. Most people take practice casually by listening to music or podcasts. Here's looking at me. I'm looking in the mirror on this one. They hang out with friends. They're going through the motions. They're spending lots of time, but not quality time. And then when it's tournament round or any round time, now it's time to focus and get serious. Now it's time to take out the headphones because you're not allowed to. Now it's time to actually put the tees in your pocket, the, the yardage book in your pocket. You, you change everything. You even tuck in your shirt now. You dress nicer. Your whole mentality, the whole way you go about it is different now that it's tournament time. So practices was really casual and easy, and tournaments are serious and focused and important. And what this leads to and you know this, you can relate to this, this leads to really high expectations with no preparation to back up those expectations. You didn't prepare for how important the golf tournament is in your mind, for how high your expectations were going to be. And this then leads to increased pressure without the foundation to withstand that pressure. You, you haven't laid that groundwork to, to be able to withstand the pressure that you will inevitably face because of your high expectations because of how important the tournament is. So now what I'm telling you to do, what I'm saying is the secret formula is making practice intense, focus, pressure packed, super high quality, and then make the round of golf just a test of your preparation. Then it lowers the pressure on the round of golf. 
Because if you realize you can't actually ever be perfect and your test will never have a perfect score, then you can easily go down the logical road at the fork. You can, it, it just makes it so much easier to be less emotional. While everyone else is wrapped up dealing with pressure and being emotional about their round. So you can put something into practice here that will actually help you do this. Do this the next time you play. Here's, here's application time of this podcast, of this video, if you're watching. After your round, write down two of each of these things. I know I roll. I don't want to write down something. I'm driving or I'm, I'm blowing the leaves or I'm, I'm walking or whatever. Or maybe you're even playing golf and you don't want to write anything down. Or you just don't want to write anything down because that seems annoying. Do this. Do this after your next round. Go. This will help you go down the logical path. Write down two things you did really well. Maybe it was I, I made a bogey on hole 13 and I came back and I just let it roll right off my back and I crushed my drive on 14. Or I... I made three bogeys in a row on six, seven, and eight, and I recouped myself. I, I focused, I, I took a minute to myself before the ninth hole, and I, I focused on some breathing. I, I just, I made, I became present with myself. I realized that the past can affect the present. The future can affect the present, and I, I played the ninth hole very present, I went through my routine, blah, blah, blah. So write down two things you did really well. Write down two things that were average that you kind of feel like you do all the time. And this this just helps you get that kind of, uh, in relation to good and bad, two things that were average. Maybe I I kind of just did what I normally do. I, I made a bogey and it was kind of in my head but it didn't affect me too bad. So just write down two things that were kind of average. And then now write down two things that need improvement. I I made a really bad three-putt double bogey on 15, and I couldn't stop thinking about it on 15 and 16. And, and it caused me to play even worse. Or I I was playing great all round. I... I had one bogey and two birdies the entire round, and I was just thinking about how I wanted to finally break par for the first time or for the first time in a while, and on 18, I made a double, and I shot one over, and I just I just pulled my hair out, and I was mad, and I, I, I got emotional, and I compared myself, and whatever. So write down two things that need improvement. And then... Don't stop there. That's great. That's a step that no one takes. But don't stop there. Write down specifically how you could go about improving those two things that need improvement. What could you do either next time or between now and the next round? What could you do during practice? You know, maybe you could go through your your routine and practice a little more. Maybe you could work on hitting some random shots on the range to where you if you hit a bad one on the range, you you work on quickly recovering and moving on and hitting another shot. Write down some specific ways how you could go about improving the two things that need improvement. This, this practice, 
This is the logical road at the fork. You're putting things back into your control so you can actually work on being a better version of yourself and do better next time. This will actually give you the opportunity to improve your mental game. We always wonder, how do we improve the mental game? It's such a vague, intangible thing. How can you actually improve it? Well, here's one great way to do it. So do this next time. You can actually get better at your mental game by putting in the work. And that's all I wanted to talk about today. I hope this was helpful to you. Uh, again, if you watched, thank you for watching. If you listened, thank you so much for listening. Huge milestone on the Mental Golf Show. Thanks to you. We just crossed 20,000 listens to the podcast. How amazing is that? That's amazing. I just, uh, at, at the beginning of this podcast, I thought, man, I just want to get to like 500 listens. We've got to 20,000 listens to this podcast. That's amazing. I'm I'm just so thrilled that that many people or that many times people wanted to actually listen to this. It must mean it's actually maybe kind of helpful. Um, and just as a point of perspective, this is just, this is me speaking from my experience and what I've learned working with actual golfers. And it's, it's hardly ever anything more than that. I, I would love to I would love to get more involved in the maybe science of the brain. Um, there's some other great resources for that too. Golf Science Lab goes down that route a lot. Um, of course, I'd always like to get more guests on the podcast. I think guests are an amazing perspective to bring on. Um, and of course, I want to answer your questions. So I'm going to keep asking you. And I've got some really great feedback from people. Um, as we've got the trash trucks going by in the background, so ignore that. But I've had some awesome questions submitted by people that I'm going to try to chew through and talk about with guests. So please submit your your questions by emailing me, joshlukenichols at gmail.com. Or you could, you could direct message me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Josh Luke Nichols on both of those. You could follow me. You could see when the latest of the podcast is out. Um, you could get some more uh, little graphics and things that I post on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Josh Nichols Golf. Um, or for the hub of everything, you could go to see a uh, six-minute uh, visualization practice that you could listen to, uh, talk about a good way to improve your mental game, is actually visualize and do that work uh, between rounds of golf every morning, every evening, uh, on your way to work, on your commute, while you're driving, while you're walking, do a six-minute visualization practice. You could also do the mental game assessment where you could see where you are on this, on in 18 different categories of the mental game, such as acceptance, anxiousness, nervousness, um, love of the game, uh, perspective, self-talk. Uh, those are just a few of 18 different categories of the mental game that you, you will be rated on, and I'll send you back a report of your highest strengths and your, and your areas that need most improvement. So you can go do the mental game assessment. You could, you could read blog posts, um, yeah, and you could you could see what I do to offer coaching to players. You could do all of this by going to foundationsmp.com. That's Foundations Mental Performance, 
foundationsmp.com. Head over there right after you're done listening to this and share this with someone that needs to hear it. Uh, someone that gets super emotional after their round of golf and needs to be more logical, needs to stop comparing themselves to others. Share this with that person. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I will catch you guys next time. See ya.